What's up, everyone? Andy Patton here. Today is Thursday, so another episode of Andy Locks discussing listener-submitted hot takes. We got plenty of predictions about Saturday's big game against Alabama. Don't miss out. All right here, Locked on Zags. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, moving over from Score Zag Score, taking over here at Locked On and ready to take you through another great season of Gonzaga Hoops. I want to thank all of you who make this show your first listen of the day. Saw some Spotify wrapped where y'all were mentioning that this was one of your most listened to shows. I sincerely appreciate that, genuinely. Hopefully, I know YouTube doesn't do wrapped the way that Spotify does, but hopefully next year, many of you will have this as one of your most viewed YouTube channels. If you haven't yet, please go hit that subscribe button. Just search Locked On Zags. You can find it there. You can find it on my social media accounts. Really, really appreciate it. Hoping that when I'm sitting in the stands at Battle in Seattle, Gonzaga versus Alabama, that I got 200 subscribers on this channel. So if you haven't gone over there and hit that subscribe button yet, please, please do so soon. All right, Andy Locks, you all don't need a reminder on how this works, but just in case it's you're new to the show, the way that it works is you you all submit hot takes to me uh, via Twitter. I usually reach out on Wednesday mornings. You can email them to me as well at andypatton 13 at gmail.com. Whatever takes you got, whether it's about Zags and the NBA, this current team, the WCC, whatever it may be, you submit them to me. I grade them too hot, too cold, just right. We're going to get right into them today. This first one comes from John via Gmail. He says, Gonzaga loses five games before the NCAA tournament. Their losses are Duke. Okay, sure. I'll give you that one. <laughs> a loss to one of either Texas Tech or Alabama. A loss to BYU in Provo. A loss to either San Francisco or St. Mary's at home. And a loss to BYU in the WCC tournament. They enter the NCAA tournament as a two seed at 27-5. and five. Okay, so I wanted to get this one out of the way early. This is super hot. This is way too hot. I don't think this is a five-loss Gonzaga team. I am I think three losses is pretty hot. Like, I'm not sure that I like that either. I think there's a pretty reasonable chance they lose another game. I don't think it's crazy that they lose three games, but I just I don't think this team is going to lose five. Uh, John had explained his email a little bit more, talked about the exposure of Gonzaga's guards struggling against pressure from Duke and, of course, again, from Tarleton State. I think lumping, and I, I was guilty of this myself the episode after the Tarleton State game, as I know many people were, because it, it was an emotional game. It was frustrating to watch. It's easy to lump those two games together and be like, this is now a thing that Gonzaga will continue to struggle with. It is something they need to work on. There is no doubt about that. As soon as they crossed half court, we knew Duke would be big and physical with them. Tarleton State being effective at it was a little bit of a surprise. And it's easy to think, well, now that it's happened two games in a row, it's going to continue to be a problem. But I think they're both isolated things. Duke's the most physical team Gonzaga has played this year and probably will play this year until deep into the NCAA tournament. So part of that is just fluky. Baylor obviously had success as well, but Baylor's guards were some of the most ridiculously athletic physical guards in the NCAA in a very long time. Those dudes are NBA players for a reason. That was a ridiculous backcourt that really matched up well with Gonzaga in a way that was beneficial to them. Duke, similar thing. Tarleton State, I know they seem like the outlier here, and obviously 
in a lot of ways they are, but they are a, a physical team. They play a certain style of basketball that keeps them in games. They rarely get blown out. They played Stanford close. They played Michigan very close. This is not that bad of a team. And yes, it's frustrating to see Gonzaga struggle significantly against this team. And turnovers are an issue. Three-point shooting is an issue. There are concerns with this team going forward that could prevent them from being a national championship winner. But there are not concerns in my mind that make this a five-loss team. I don't think they lose to BYU twice. BYU is good. They are not definitively better than Gonzaga. I don't think either St. Mary's or San Francisco have the horses to beat Gonzaga at all this year. Texas Tech doesn't really worry me. Alabama is going to be a tough game. I'll give you that. That's going to be a tough game. BYU on the road, going to be a tough game. If they face BYU in the WCC championship, that's also a tough game. But I, this is not a five-loss team. I just I don't see it. I think three losses is probably the most we'll see. Four would be a disappointment. Five would be very, very surprising. Next up, this comes from Strike Nowhere on Twitter. He says, The lack of Tommy Lloyd's presence on the sideline led to the Duke loss and the near debacle against Tarleton. <laughs> Directly? No, obviously not. This isn't really a take, more of just a, an opinion. Um, so I don't really know how to grade whether it's going to happen or not because it obviously isn't something that we can talk about in that context. But I don't think Lloyd had a ton to do with it. I think that, you know, obviously Tommy Lloyd was not the person turning the ball over. He was not the person missing three-point shots. I don't think that his role in creating offensive sets to limit this was significant. Like, I don't think that was a huge part of what he did. Having said that, Stephen Gentry is kind of the offensive mastermind that's part of what his role is and I'm curious to see what adjustments he makes now that we've seen two teams in a row really pressure Gonzaga up at the point of attack where they have the basketball forcing them to not be able to get the ball to Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren the way that they want to do it they're going to have to make adjustments and if we don't see them make adjustments then we have to start looking at the coaching staff of hey why is this not happening Gentry's the name I point to first. I'm not trying to blame anybody. He's just the person who I think has the most responsibility in this regard. I do think Lloyd would do things differently. <laughs> I don't think he's he's really the reason that the Duke game happened or the Tarleton State game happened. Uh, I think that it's pro- probably more to do with just the players not playing well, obviously. But I think that it's interesting to monitor going forward how this might shake out. Next up, this one comes from EA Stone 17 on Twitter. Two in a row from him, this first one. Gonzaga runs a small ball lineup 60% of the time against Bama. Well, it depends what you consider a small ball lineup, but if that is having both Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren on the floor, no, obviously not. If it's just one of them on the floor and Julian Strother playing the four 60% of the time, I just don't think that's going to happen. I'm assuming we're talking about the three-guard lineups where you have, you know, Andrew Nembhard and Rasir Bolton and one of Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman on the floor, along with Julian Strother and then one of the bigs. I think they'll run that lineup more. We saw it a little bit in the last couple of games, more than we'd seen it through the first three or four games. They're finally starting to do it more. I think Julian Strother could be a really good collegiate small ball four. Really good. But this team has Chet Holmgren. They have Drew Timmy. They have Anton Watson. I know Anton Watson has been struggling. I understand why there is some push to potentially have Julian play more minutes at the four and less minutes from Watson. I'm not necessarily opposed to that, depending on the matchups. But I don't think we're going to see it 60% of the time against Alabama, who's a good rebounding team, which leads to this next one also from EA Stone. He says the Zags get twice as amount as twice the amount of rebounds as Alabama. That is nuclear, my friend. That is really, really hot. Alabama is the sixth best rebounding team in the country. If you'd said this against Portland or against 
Pepperdine or some of the other WCC teams who don't have a ton of size, even some of the better ones, San Francisco, maybe, maybe you get away with that. But Alabama's a legitimately very good rebounding team, borderline elite. This is one of the few teams in the country that could out-rebound Gonzaga. I don't expect that to happen. I think Gonzaga will get more rebounds than Alabama, but I definitely don't think they're going to get twice as many rebounds as Alabama. That seems like it has virtually no chance of happening. All right, this next one comes from Mike at upper 95215 on Twitter. He says, the Zags beat a third-ranked team by 20-plus points this weekend. Mike, I got to say, man, I read this a couple of times thinking you meant that Alabama would be ranked number three on Saturday, and I was like, that is literally impossible to happen, so I don't know how to handle this. But I'm assuming you just meant they'll beat another ranked team by 20-plus points. In which case, I think this is just right. And I want to clarify, just right means that it's like a quality hot take. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen necessarily. If I think it's for sure going to happen, I call it too cold. This is just right. I think it's possible. I think Gonzaga's pissed off. I think that they're going to make some adjustments and they're going to come out on fire. I think they're going to be in Seattle, a place they've played well in the past. It's going to feel like a home crowd. It's this huge new arena. The place is going to be absolutely bumping all game long. And I think they're just going to come out and just light the light the place on fire. I really do. I think that's what's going to happen. Now, Alabama has the ability to withstand those punches. They're a good enough ball club that I think that if they do get kind of punched around a little bit early in the game, they'll bounce back and they'll make it more of a contest. 20-plus seems possible. I don't know that I would bet on it necessarily, but I don't think it's crazy either, which is why I think it kind of settles in nicely as a good quality hot take. All right, segment one, answering listener submitted hot takes is done. Don't worry, we're going to come back in the second segment. We got plenty more thoughts from you all as listeners. I'm excited to share these all with you and talk about what I think about them. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Omaha Steaks. The holidays are around the corner and finding the perfect gift is tricky. Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. I've had relatives send me Omaha Steaks for a few years now, and it was a great way to keep the freezer stocked with quality meat for the next couple of months. I know you all have relatives you want to help out this holiday season, and Omaha Steaks is without a doubt the way to go. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter college into the search bar to order the perfect gift package. For $99.99, you'll get 24 entrees like the world-famous bacon-wrapped filet mignons, chicken breasts, sides, desserts, and much, much more. When you use code COLLEGE, you'll also get an additional eight Omaha Steaks burgers for free with your order. We've all heard the reports about shortages and shipping delays, so don't wait. Order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com and you'll get eight free burgers when entering the code COLLEGE. Achieve gifting greatness with Omaha Steaks. Incredible flavor, incredible value, and 100% guaranteed. OmahaSteaks.com, keyword college. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still Andy locks for Thursdays as we've been doing throughout the season, which means we're still taking listener-submitted hot takes, giving them a grade just like Goldilocks, too hot, too cold, or just right. This next one comes from DadRisk on Twitter. He says, two of Gonzaga's six best players for next year are currently playing for a different college basketball team. So I think this is probably just right as well. I I. I'm leaning towards it being too hot. It's right on the borderline. I'd be pretty surprised if this happened. You think about next year's roster, there's a realistic chance that all five of Gonzaga's starters are gone. 
Andrew Nempart almost certainly gone. Rasir Bolton almost certainly gone. Chet Holmgren gone. That is no debate there. And then you have Julian Strother, Drew Timmy, what they end up doing. If we assume both of them are gone and all five starters are gone, next year you return Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman, Ben Gregg, Caden Perry, Anton Watson, and then you fill the rest of that roster with grad transfers and freshmen. Realistically, if those five are your main returners, and Dominic Harris, I don't want to forget about Dom. He comes back as well. If those six guys are your main rotation pieces and you add two grad transfers, pretty realistic that those two guys end up being two of the best six players. If either Drew Timmy or Julian Strother comes back, this probably is a little bit less likely to come true. I do think Gonzaga is going to heavily pursue the grad transfer market next year. I think it could very realistic be a situation similar to when they brought in both Admon Gilder and Ryan Woolridge, two great grad transfer guards in the same year. I think we could see that again this upcoming season. It's more likely to be a wing, particularly with what happens with Julian Strother. If he goes to the NBA, they'll almost certainly go out and try to find a either a small ball four or a legitimate wing as opposed to just another guard because they'll have Salas, they'll have Hickman, they'll have Dom, so they won't necessarily need more guard play. But I do think grad transfers are going to be a big part of next year's roster. This next one, speaking of, comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, Julian Strother is a first-round pick in the upcoming NBA draft. Yep, this is just right. It's borderline too low. At this point, a lot of draft people who do mock drafts, draft experts, are starting to kind of put Julian in that potential conversation as a first-round pick, a second-round pick. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it means that it's squarely on the radar. It's not something that is that sounds really far-fetched at this point. The biggest thing for Julian, not of, of course the scoring is monumental, the outside shooting, the ability to get to the rim, the offensive rebounding, all of that stuff really monumental, really going to help him carve out a nice career at the next level. But beyond that, I think the biggest thing that I have seen him improve upon in his first seven games in a college, this season in a college uniform, is the the defense. He was he did not look great on defense early in the season. We didn't see enough of him last year to really know what he looked like defensively. Obviously, he's long, he's athletic, he's physical, so you can expect that he could turn into a good defensive player. But I always kind of thought he was an all-offense, medium-ish defensive guy. And so far through this season, he has proven that he is very good defensively. He has proven that he is capable of playing on that end to the point where he could be a plug-and-play, 3-and-D type player at the NBA level. When you're a senior and you get drafted as a plug-and-play 3-and-D guy, you usually go in the late first, maybe early second round. When you're 20 years old and a sophomore, you're going to get some attention because they can develop you into more than that. You can develop into a really quality role player, borderline like starting player, potential all-star type guy. And for Strother, if he keeps scoring 18, 19 points per game the way he's been doing, keeps playing good, solid defense out on the perimeter and in the post, he's going to get a look. There's no doubt in my mind he's going to get a really strong look as an NBA player. And if he thinks he's going to go in the first round, if teams are telling him, hey, we're looking at you around this pick, he's probably not coming back and I wouldn't blame him. This next question comes from Derek on Twitter. He says, Anton Watson will be the leading scorer and be the reason the Zags win an NCAA tournament game come March. I love this. I, Derek, you're a man to my heart. You know how much I love my guy, Anton Watson, how much I've been pumping him up this year. This is too hot. Anton Watson being the reason they win an NCAA tournament game. A, that's subjective, so it's hard to know. Like, you can't pin any, unless he hits a game winner, I guess. You can't really say he's the reason that they win a game, but I think that's plausible. I think there's a chance that the Zags run into a, you know, a really good team with a really good perimeter score, a really good, you know, four, and Watson plays great defense against them, holds the guy to like two of nine shooting, and the Zags win a, a nail biter. In that case, I think you could say after the game, hey, Anton Watson's the reason. We won this game. I don't think that that is crazy at all. In fact, I think that I don't want to say that that's likely, but it would not surprise me at all. 
but Anton Watson's not going to lead this team in scoring. I, I, I like the kid. I've been happy to see his aggression on offense improve dramatically this year. It's kind of scaled back the last few games, mostly because he's been in significant foul trouble, unfortunately. But him looking for his shot, him putting the ball on the ground and driving to the rim, him trying to draw contact and get to the free throw line, all of that I have loved. But he is not a good enough scorer to lead this team in scoring. If he leads this team in scoring in a game, I think they probably don't win that game. <laughs> I don't want to be mean. I just, with Chet Holmgren, with Drew Timmy, with Julian Strother, with Rasier Bolton, with Andrew Nembhard, all of those guys most days should score more points than Anton Watson. He's rarely going to be top three on the team in scoring, and it's more about the rest of the really talented offensive players. That's why he's a great balance for this team, because he is so defensive-focused. He's lethal in the half-court trap. He's great at just actually bodying guys and playing one-on-one defense. He plays the passing lanes really well. He gets out in transition excellent, but he is not a half-court scoring player. That's not his game. He has not developed an outside shot. He's a decent low post scorer, but rarely are they looking for him in the low post. There's a chance there are some games where other teams play exclusively zone where he gets a few more looks because he's either running the baseline or playing a different role that gets him open potentially, but I don't think there's going to be probably any games this year where he leads the team in scoring and certainly not in the NCAA tournament. But I love the take, Derek. I love it. I love talking to Anton Watson. All right, this next one comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, someone other than Chet Holmgren gets a triple-double this season. And he notes that Andrew Nembhard was very close against Duke. Yeah, this is too hot still. I, guys, there's been one. <laughs> there's been one in school history. It was Joella Yayi last year, a player who was tailor-made to be a triple-double player because he was a good scorer, because he was a great great rebounder for a guard and because he's not only a good passer but he was on a team with a ton of talented scores that is the recipe to get triple doubles at the collegiate level you also need a coach who's willing to play you enough minutes to get you a triple double the zags do not have that mark few doesn't want to do that joel basically had to get a triple double and a half in order for coach to play him long enough to get one i think there's a very realistic chance chet Holmgren gets a triple double this year far more realistic than I ever thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. I don't think anybody else in the team is going to do it. Nemhard is probably the most likely candidate. 10 rebounds for him seems a little far-fetched. Drew Timmy, points and rebounds are easy. 10 assists is tough. I think he set his career high with seven earlier in the year, so it's not crazy, but it seems tough. Uh, Julian Strother isn't really a, a passer in that way. Bolton's not a rebounder in that way. They just I, I don't see anybody else really doing it. Nemhard and Timmy things would have to fall basically perfectly. And in Gonzaga's entire history, it's only happened one time with a player who was tailor-made to do it. So I just, I don't think it's going to happen again this year. Would love it. Would love it. Triple-doubles are cool. Don't think it's going to happen. All right, a reminder, we're going to continue to do Andy Locks. If people like it, please, please, please send me feedback whenever you have any. Send me takes. You can email me at andypatton013 at gmail.com at any point in the week that you have a take that you want me to talk about on the show. I'm happy to do it. You can reach out to me on Twitter at ScoreZagScore or on the uh, Locked on Zags Twitter account, which can be found at Locked on Zags. We're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to talk about more listener-submitted hot takes. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bet Online. Bet Online is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. 
From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, and right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, third segment, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still grading. Listener submitted hot takes all episode long. Of course, we are one day away when you're listening to this, or two days away, depending on when you're listening to this, to the Gonzaga versus Alabama game in the Battle in Seattle. I'm so excited for that game. Going to be a really good one. Have a fun preview coming out on Friday, talking all things Bama, what kind of team they are, what kind of game we expect to see them play on Saturday evening. This next take comes from Jacob Quarter 3 on Twitter. He says, The Zags will use the loss against Duke and the close win against Tarleton State as fuel and go undefeated until at least the tournament. Now we're talking. Now we're cooking. We got five loss, five loss prediction at the beginning of this of the episode, and now we got zero losses here in the episode. I love it. Um, I think this is just right. Again, I think it's probably going to be between zero and five losses or four losses, I guess, for the rest of the season. But I don't think it's crazy. I think Alabama, this is a huge game. This game on Saturday is huge. Alabama's good. They're one of the better teams they're going to face. That's the start. <laughs> Obviously, they're, they're just a good team. Beyond that, they do have big physical guards. It is, Gonzaga has not proven that they're willing to or able, or both willing or able to adjust to this kind of style of defense that we've seen from opposing teams recently. So this is a big test. If Gonzaga proves that they can break this streak of getting bodied by physical guards at the top of the key, if they prove they can break it, then I'm going to feel really confident about their ability to win out for the rest of the year. If they don't, if they struggle through this game, even if they win, but if they still look challenged by that, then I'm going to have a lot more reservations. Like, are they going to beat BYU at BYU, as was mentioned earlier? Or even are they going to struggle against Texas Tech or St. Mary's in San Francisco? Like, that's all possible. They still could, even if they beat the tar out of Alabama. But I would feel a lot better if we saw them start to make some of those adjustments that we didn't see them make in the Tarleton State game after they got beat by Duke. All right, this next one comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, The Zags regained the number one ranking at some point during the season. Worth pointing out, Christian submitted this before Duke lost to Ohio State. Uh, I, I don't know if you would take it back now, but I think this is too cold. I think there's a very realistic chance that the Zags regain the number one seed. Uh, Purdue's probably going to have it uh, next week now that Duke has lost, assuming, I don't know, Purdue's schedule for the rest of the week. But if they don't play anymore, if they win the rest of their games, they will be number one. They probably should be number one. I don't know that they're the best team, but they're close. They're one of the three best teams in the country with Gonzaga and Duke. Those are the top three teams. I have very little there's not really any debate in my mind about that. You can almost order them however you want. <laughs> Certainly a lot of people would would raise some eyebrows if you put Gonzaga ahead of Duke because they lost. To me, a three-point loss means basically nothing. It means the teams are, are similar. But again, I can understand why Duke would not want to be ranked behind Gonzaga. Purdue is probably going to be at the top of that ranking right now. But yeah, I think the Zags are going to take it back over at some point. And part of that is, yeah, their schedule's a little bit easier as they get into the WCC tournament, but they got BYU twice, they got St. Mary's twice, they got San Francisco twice. Those are three tournament teams, most likely. Alabama, Texas Tech, they got some good games still coming up. So we'll see, but I would not be surprised at all if the Zags are the number one seed at some point during the season. Another one from Christian, he says, Mark Few does not wear a suit or tie this entire season. No chance. The man does not like wearing suits. He does not like wearing ties unless he is forced to by 
somebody who has the authority to force him to wear a suit or a tie, I don't think it's going to happen. So I got to say this is too cold. It's it's not going to happen. Mark Few loves his polos. He loves his pullovers. He does not want to wear a tie if he doesn't have to, which props. I get it. I don't like wearing ties either. So I'm, I'm with you 100%, coach. Last one, another one from Jacob Corder too. Getting a little off topic here, but I love it. He says, just thought of another one. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Absolutely. I, I, I don't understand. Okay, okay, so here's the thing. So Die Hard, I know that it came out in like July. It was a summer blockbuster. I can understand for people who saw Die Hard when it came out in theaters or who remember that or who know that fact could say, how could this be a Christmas movie? It came out in July. But I just watched it like uh, three days ago. It is a Christmas movie. There are multiple specific Christmas references. Obviously, the song's soundtrack is Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC, which is a Christmas song. You have, you know, him putting the sweatshirt over the the terrorist that says, ho, ho, ho. Like, there are multiple Christmas references in this movie. In my mind, there's no doubt. I get it. It's not sappy. It's not a love story. It doesn't have Santa in it or elves or reindeer or anything like that. But Die Hard is definitively... A Christmas movie. In my mind, there's borderline not a debate. I know people love talking about it. I know people love the debate. I get it. But to me, it's a Christmas movie. There's multiple references to Christmas. There's a Christmas song. I have a soundtrack on Spotify of Christmas songs, and Christmas is ho- in Hollis is on the soundtrack. How can there be a original Christmas song if it wasn't in a Christmas movie? And nobody's got an answer for me on that one. All right, that is going to do it. Thank you for indulging Andy Locks. Thank you for sending in some slightly irreverent uh, takes. I always appreciate that from all of you. Uh, I had a blast. I hope you continue to support this segment all season long. Friday fun episode, we're going to talk all about Alabama. Finish the week off strong. I've said this a couple of times, but I will be at the Battle in Seattle. Hit me up on Twitter at ScoreZagScore if you want to come say hi going to be a super fun game. I'm really looking forward to it. Also, check out the podcast on YouTube if you have not already. Locked on Zags. Hit that subscribe button. Would really appreciate it there. Now is a great time to make your next listen today, the Locked on Bets podcast. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.